Hey friends, it's Coley. Thank you so much for taking a moment out of your day to listen to this episode of Still With You. There is so much in store, especially hearing from my new friend, Jess Thomas. I wanted to take a moment to ask you a simple favor. Would you mind leaving a review for this podcast? You can do this simply by visiting Apple Podcasts and in the search bar, type in Still With You, hosted by Coley Browning. Scroll past a few episodes or so to the bottom of the page, you will find a place to rate and review the show. It would be amazing if you could leave five stars as well as some kind words sharing why you love the podcast. This helps more than you know in creating opportunities for more listeners to find out about the podcast. As we know, this means more people who get to be encouraged and hear about Jesus. Thanks in advance. Let's get to today's episode. Hey friends, it's Coley. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Still With You. I am so happy that you are here. And before we jump into today's conversation, I want to thank my friend Gabrielle Grace for sharing her amazing music with us in every episode. The song that you're listening to right now is We'll Be Alright from her latest EP. You can connect with Gabrielle Grace on social media. Her handle is Gabrielle Grace Music or visit her website, GabrielleGraceMusic.net. She is amazing and I love that we are able to feature her incredible work on season four of still with you. Psalm 121.1 says, I look up to the mountain. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. While most of us have to envision a serene mountainous view as we meditate upon this verse from scripture, chef and cooking instructor Jess Thomas experiences it every day living along the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. Born in Queens, New York, Jess's surprising journey of serving began when she attended Boston University to study mass communication and advertising. During this season of completing her undergrad, Jess met Jesus in a personal way that was far different from her upbringing in church. For the first time, the words she found in the Bible seemed relevant, and by reading the Word of God, Jess knew that she wanted to spend her life sharing the excitement of following Jesus and listening to the Holy Spirit. Upon graduating, Jess attended Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago to complete her master's degree. There she partnered with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, developed a passion for discipling others, especially college students, and also met her husband, Dr. Joji Thomas, MD. After completing his residency program in California, God led Joji and Jess to Jellico, Tennessee. Though the Thomases planned to live in the small rural community for only two years, God pressed on their hearts to stay. Jeremiah 29, 4-7 style. Little did Jess know that God would not only use her love for his word, but also her gifts for preparing food and hospitality to serve others. Jess's culinary skills have been shared on WBIR, Knoxville's NBC affiliate, the University of Tennessee's community cooking classes, Instagram, in-home classes and event spaces. She's also had a blast working behind the scenes on Food Network's hit television series, Chopped, and just recently 
Annie Jess was featured on New York Times bestselling authors Annie F. Downs' Annie's Fun List, sharing a new and improved Chai Day Friday. Not only cooking, but Jess also serves as the National Director of Student Programming at Christian Community Health Fellowship, a community of Christian healthcare professionals who are committed to living out the gospel through healthcare among the poor. From bright city lights to quiet southern nights, with an oven mitt in one hand and ministry on her heart, Jess is still sharing her exciting and surprising journey of following Jesus. Friends, I love her faith, and I know that you are going to get so much from hearing her story. It is my genuine honor to welcome to Still With You, chef and cooking instructor, my new friend, Jess Thomas. I have heard you've been called Jess and Jesse. So what do you like to be called by? You can call me Jesse. Jesse's my name. Okay. My stage name when I was doing my personal chef stuff was Jess because I was like, I don't want people to like know where I live because I was doing all my TV things. But where I do my TV things is an hour from where I live because I live in the country. Angelico. Angelico. And I just didn't want people to know that. Because I don't know, I'm like, you can come to my house yeah. and because it's very easy. My husband's the small town doc here. I mean, there's other doctors too, but we're the only people of color here. So it's very obvious. Literally, I will go to the bank, they'll read off my bank account. Post office will take stuff, even if it's just our name and not our address. Very small town living. It would be very easy to find me if somebody in Knoxville area was like, well, where does she live? I don't know. I watch, I don't watch too many like soccer movies, but I've seen like two where I'm like, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) So that's why I went to Jess Thomas. So then when people Googled me, everything would be under that for my personal chef business, but really with everything else in life, I'm Jesse. So Jesse's good because this is more of a ministry thing rather than a foodie thing. Awesome. Okay. Jesse. Okay. That's great. And this is where our paths cross because you live in a small town and I grew up in a small town, like Uh 280 people in mid Missouri. Oh, okay. No, that's a really small town. This is 2000. (laughs) I never came up with an alias, but if I continue to live there, I probably would. (laughs) Because I know what you're talking about. All it would take is someone who's out walking their dog being like, hey, have you seen Coley? And then be like, oh, you mean the house down the highway? Right. It's very real. Okay. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for making time for this. I have been so excited for this. And also it's been so fun watching your work since we've been kind of introduced via internet through Annie F. Downs when you came on her Chai Day Friday fun list. All of this is a God thing of, I don't know where you take me, God, but I've prayed for adventure in my life. Really? And I, I turned 50 this year. Oh my gosh. You do not look 50 at all. Oh, <laughs> thank you. It's the melanin. It's, it's the genes. <laughs> My, I was with my mom last week and we went somewhere. My daughter just graduated college and we just moved her into her apartment. The woman that was serving us, they're like, you have a daughter that graduated college? You're not old enough. And I was with my mom. I'm like, guess how the both of us are? She was off by like 20 years. And so I was like, it's in the jeans. <laughs> and I always tell people, I saw like a comic, this is before memes, a comic of like an Asian woman in her 20s, 30s, 40s. And she looks exactly the same until she's like in her late 80s. And then all of a sudden she turns into like Yoda. And so I feel like that's what's going to happen. I'm going to look like this. And then one day it's just going to be like hunched over. And so I'm going to just make full use of it. I love it. That's amazing. You mentioned that you've prayed for adventure in your life. When I 
started to unpack part of your story by some resources that you sent me and also just by following you online and watching a few videos about you and Joji, I was like, oh my goodness, this is so much more than the Chive video that I watched. Like you all have a path across the country of adventure, just like the words you said. I'm trying to figure out a timeline, how you guys made it to Jellico. Are you originally from New York? Because I know part of your story is in New York City. And then I know you have a piece in Chicago when you went to seminary. Could you map out a little bit of like where you've walked? So I'll start before that with the civil rights movement because of what Black people have done in America to lay the foundation of equality. There was an Immigration Act, I think it's 1964, that allowed Asians to come to America. And before that, they weren't allowed to. They allowed Asians who had some sort of technical background that was needed in the U.S. to come. So nurses Mm -hmm. were one of those groups of people. The state where my family is from in India, Kerala, They had equal education for women and people of all socioeconomic backgrounds. And it's the only state in India that had that at the time. So this is, I don't know if it's the 30s, 40s. It was was a while ago. Because of that, my mom and all these women who had a high school education were getting nursing degrees, So, but there were no real, not very many nursing schools in our state. So they went to other states to get nursing degrees. And then when that gate opened, all these women who had nursing degrees, came to America and got jobs, and many of them were already married. And then they brought over their husbands and some of them their kids. It's not just my family story. It's the story of so many people from our state in India. Mom came to New York, to Queens by herself, knew like nobody but heard of people that connected her, that were gracious and hospitable, brought my dad over. And then I was born in Queens, New York. Mm. And there's like a whole flood of people that came. Because of that, they were all... Christians, like church people in India. So my dad was part of a church plant and it's a denomination from India. He and a couple other men started this church in New York. And that's how like I grew up as a church kid, grew up in, and then we moved to Long Island. I had a brother and we all grew up there. Then I went to college in Boston Okay. And I was a communications major. After that, I came back to New York and I worked two years in Manhattan in advertising and PR during college is when I truly like understood what it means to follow Jesus and authentic faith. Because even though I grew up in church, it wasn't in English until I was in high school. Wow. My parents were very focused on teaching me English. They didn't know that kids can learn multiple languages at once. I never really got the hang of Malayalam. Malayalam is our language. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't understand sermons in Malayalam. So I went to youth group in Sunday school, which was in English. But I didn't really pay attention during church. And it was all like liturgical, beautiful, but it was not in English. So I didn't really understand any of it. When I went to college, I saw people worshiping Jesus authentically and they weren't like forced to go to church. It wasn't like a cultural thing or a family thing. And I was like, oh, I've never seen Christianity look like this. And that's also when I first learned how to study the Bible. I was part of University Christian Fellowship. After two years of searching and encountering other Indians, because I also did not know any Indians other than the people in my church from the same exact people group that were historically churched. Mm -hmm. So I never met a Hindu. I never met a Muslim. I never met anybody that spoke another language. That's where I came to faith. And I felt like God was calling me into ministry, but I didn't know how. So when I came back to New York and I was working, I worked with our youth group. I helped with a young adult group trying to encourage people's faith and seek out what it was God calling me to do ministry-wise. I went to Urbana Missions Conference and that's where I met my husband. That's when I also felt like God was saying, okay, like start preparing to go to seminary. So that's when I left New York. Okay. 
went to Illinois. So you graduated from Boston and then you were like, I want to continue on. Was that, was that considered like your graduate program? Boston was my undergrad. I knew by the end I wasn't going to stay in advertising and I knew I, God was calling me to ministry, but I didn't know what. I just said, well, I've got this degree. So I worked in the communications for two years in Manhattan. And then I left mm-hmm. New York to go to Illinois. So at that time I was engaged by then. Mm-hmm. And then I did my master's in Christian education, which is like spiritual formation and then got married. And so we spent two years in Illinois where my husband was finishing his medical degree. Where's Joji from originally? He's from the Chicago area. Cool. We moved to California for three years. Okay. He finished his medical training there in residency. That's when I first started like doing ministry things. So MOPS, Mothers for Preschoolers, Uh I did that and was like small group coordinator for that. I worked in high school ministry. I also birthed two children. Yes. (laughs) You're one of the moms. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So we were there three years, loved it there because we lived between the hills and the ocean, which was, okay, this is exactly what heaven is going to look like when we get there. And like Jesus is giving us a taste. It was beautiful. So did that help you when you moved to a place that is so diverse? Did you feel like I'm kind of really living in the fullness of humanity? Like, how did that feel? I feel like the way God designed me, you know, this is the whole thing of praying for adventure. It's hard to find people who are like me, but I like so many different types of situations, people. And so everything to me feels adventurous. So going from Mm -hmm. like my homogenous group, growing up in an Indian church, but school was that I went to school in an Irish, Italian, Catholic Mm -hmm. neighborhood. Everybody was white. And there was like five of us that were not white in our school. And we just kind of clung together. Boston was super multicultural. And I worked with international students there and Indians of all different backgrounds. And then going to Illinois, we lived in Rockford, which is super white, blue collar cornfields. And then California was a little bit more diverse, not too much, no Indians still people that were not white, but Latina culture, I had some interaction with. And then moving to Appalachia, it's not even just white. It's like Appalachian culture is a subculture and a different worldview, almost a different language. It's been interesting. Like God puts people in my life that I can relate to in different ways to quench like that part of who I am. But there's definitely this thing of missing people who look like me, who understand, because I don't speak the language. There's a whole generation of us who grew up here that aren't fluent in our mother tongue. But when we get together, like my old friends, if whenever we talk, we don't have to explain ourselves. Or even when I was getting a counselor, like for therapy, I had prayed that God would bring somebody who understand immigrant culture. And God brought someone of my exact same people group. Oh, I, love I did that. not have to explain any of my background. Like when I explained my growing up, she's like, oh, I totally know what you're talking about. And I was like, thank you, Jesus, for this gift of having somebody who totally understands what I'm talking about. At the time that I need it, even when I don't know it, God provides that quenching for that and then provides other opportunities for like expanding who I am and what I need to develop and grow and to really lean on God more. There's quenching and then it's like, okay, that's like too much. It's like too comfortable. To, this is providing something that's not really healthy. Yeah. But that's just because of the way I'm wired and everybody's mm-hmm. not wired like that. I don't know if it's my eightness in my Enneagram. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Joji is in the medical field. And so when you all were in California, was that was medical related? His residency program. You mentioned Appalachia, which I have learned a little bit about through Annie. Annie is an advocate for the Appalachia people. I would love to know 
how did you transfer your lives as you were sharing where you've lived? I'm like drawing the map in my mind of how you've lived more on the West Coast, East Coast, and then also Chicago. How did you guys figure out that Appalachia Angelico was the best next step for you all? It's a Jesus thing. When Joji and I met, we both felt like God was calling us to missions. And for me specifically, discipleship, we did not have any people group or country on our hearts. So we said, okay, God, when we're ready to go overseas, which means like we have no debt, we are ready to like leave, like we don't hold on to anything so we can just move, let us know where to go. So when he was done with residency, we had to do loan repayment and um, we had to be somewhere in an under-resourced community for two years. That's like a requirement? Yes. Okay. But it could be anywhere, like, and it's our choice. We could be on an Indian reservation, we could be inner city, we could be rural. And my husband just really likes rural. There was a movie in the late 80s called Doc Hollywood with Michael J. Fox. I love Michael J. Fox. I'll have to watch it. <laughs> I'm a big Family Ties person. Uh, I grew up on Family Ties. Yeah. There's a couple of scenes you might have to fast forward. Okay, that's good. But the rest of it, it's Michael J. Fox was uh, in plastic surgery and was leaving residency and to start his brand new job in Hollywood, being this famous yeah. plastic surgeon and his car breaks down. Something happens where he's like stuck in the small town and because of the damages, he has to work it off in the small town. <laughs> and his worldview of like big city, flashy living is like totally cut from under him because he's in the small town. So my husband yeah. watched this movie and he's like, I want to live in a small town. I'm like, you're a brown man in America and this is what you want. And it's exactly the life that we live. Again, shows like how God's vision is so much bigger than what we thought. When he was looking for a job to do his loan repayment, this was the first one that came to us. It was a Christian clinic, which we never even thought about that as an option. And we were thinking, you know what? Being in a small town is going to help us prepare to go overseas. We're going to have limited resources. We're going to have to learn a different culture. So this is the perfect place to go for just like a couple of years until God tells us where he really wants us to go. And when we were here, we worked with Youth for Christ with um, kids in our town and especially kids that lived in the projects. I was learning how to relate to people here. I volunteered at the library. I brought my kids everywhere. I started a mom's group here. You went like full immersion. You're just like, I'm going to be part of this community. Correct. Mm -hmm. Because that's what missions is, is you don't just give people things. You do life with people. So we did that for a few years. The church we were going to, our landlords lived next door to us and they were an elderly couple. So my kids called them Mama and Papa because that's what the local vernacular for grandmother and grandfather is. And so we would go to church with them and the church had a rule that unless you were a member, you were not allowed to volunteer for anything. We're like, well, we're only here a couple of years and then we're going overseas. So guess we're not doing anything. So it was the first time we were just like sat back and enjoyed church. My kids would sit on Mama and Papa's lap and It was great. And after three years, God opened these opportunities. There's a missions conference called Global Missions Health Conference, GMHC, every year in Louisville. And when we went there at the end of our loan repayment time, God opened doors for us to meet the president of Emmanuel Hospital Association, which is the largest mission hospital system in India. Wow. And we never had a desire to go to India just because we were Indian, but we're like, okay, God must be opening this door to this you know, group, whatever. At the same time, the doors opened for us to adopt our son and the paperwork to be pretty much ready. So we went to India. When we got there, we had no peace at all mm-hmm. with 
everything with this um, hospital location that they wanted to put us in. And we didn't know why. Had you been before? I had grown up going to India like every four years because of relatives and visiting. First time that my kids had ever been to India. And at that time, they were like three and five. That had to be special. Yeah, they loved it. And they still, even though they were so, so tiny, they have such vivid memories of that trip. We visited our son at the orphanage. And they said, paperwork's not ready. It should be ready in a month. Our ticket was to come back in a month. We visited the mission site. And even though it seemed like it should work, we just inside had no peace about it. And we couldn't figure out why. By the end of the month, paperwork was done, picked up our son, which is a different story, and came back to America and prayed and like wrestled for three months of, I don't know why we're not supposed to be there, but we're not. And looked at all these other mission opportunities And felt like all the doors were closing. And we're like, okay, God, what are you doing? Surely you're not saying stay here. We want to do real missions. And God Mm -hmm. just continued to confirm within that year, in so many different ways, we were supposed to stay here. And now it's 21 years that we've been here. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. One of the questions we had was, why would God call us here? It doesn't make any sense. And we're like, did God really call us to overseas mission? So we like evaluated, went through journals from the past. Right. Because it doesn't make sense of why would you be introduced to the president of an organization that would open the door for you on so many levels. And it feels like such a big window of opportunity that why would it juxtapose with what you're hearing from God. So yeah, like, what do we do, Jess, when we, Jesse, what do we do, Jesse, when we have- um, Either's fine. <laughs> My parents call me Jess. <laughs> what, like, yeah, how do we walk through that? This is what God has shown me over my lifetime, that his path is not straight. Like, you know how it says, and he will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your understanding, and all your ways acknowledge yes, him. Yes. He will make your path straight. You know how, like, we have a perception of how God speaks but the way God speaks is how God speaks. Mm-hmm. So when it says he will make your path straight, it's not a literal straight, you know, like follow the yellow brick road. When you watch the wizard of yes. Oz, it's not, the yellow brick road is not straight, but it's yellow and it's uh-huh. brick. So, you know, you keep following that yellow brick road, wherever it goes. Mm-hmm. So it's straight in that you're, it's very obvious that this is the path you should go, but it's actually not straight. Over my lifetime, God has shown me the path, the next step to go, but it doesn't go straight necessarily. And I feel like if God had told Joji and I at Urbana, I'm calling you to missions and it's in a super white community in the hills of Tennessee, we would have laughed and be like, that's not Jesus talking. That's crazy talk. That's Dolly Parton talking. That's it. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) God had to show us this circuitous path for us to trust him for each step. And obviously he used every part of that pathway to show us, you know, what we were supposed to do. And I think a lot of times people look for this end goal, like this is the goal that you're supposed to reach. And it's not, it's like, there's all these little goals all along the way. And every single part of it is God's will. I've been discipling young women for years. And that's like my advice to them too, of like, don't look for like the final thing, look for the next thing. Cause God's going to show you you're gifted and talented in so many different ways. And it's going to give you so many different experiences. Soak up what he has for you today. Cause it's going to lead you to the, the next thing he wants for your life. As you get older, you're going to look back and see there's nothing wasted in God's economy. He's going to use every little bit of it 
for the next part. And it's okay to not know because that is part of the adventure to not know and just enjoy the process and enjoy the journey along the way. When we came back, God showed us so many different ways how he wanted us here, including like the house we live in. Cause we never like bought a house. You Yeah. You just rented. We just rented because we're like, well, we're not going to stay here and how God has used this house for ministry and blessed so many people through this house. And, you know, you and I talked about like, that was your prayer for your house that God would use it. And immediately yeah. God's like, okay, you prayed it. Here you go. Here's your opportunity to yes. use your home for me. Cause it's not your house. It's my house. Absolutely. It's not your kids. It's my kids. Like everything belongs to him. So how are we faithful to continually be gra- grateful for what we have when we have it and give it back to him? And, you know, I can hear you say your story and all of that encouragement. And I, I would believe you if I just heard it verbatim. But then you tell me that you've stayed for 21 years. I believe because I see the roots, the roots and then the fruit of you choosing to be obedient and stay and say, like, God was faithful within two decades of this decision that was really hard to make. Thank you guys for being that encouragement. That is amazing. Does your husband, is it the same building, same clinic? Like, do you, is it still operating in the same way or has it evolved since you all got there? It has evolved. So my husband's a visionary. This clinic didn't start as a Christian clinic. It really was. I don't actually know why Dr. Walker came to the hills of Appalachia, but like up in the hills. And we live in the city, in the town, but there's a clinic. It's three different clinics. One's like way up in the hills where there literally are still people with no running water. A lot of people don't have their own vehicle. So it's like, can I hitch a ride with you to get to the clinic? So he started that clinic up there in Clarefield. And then we have one in Jelko and then we're a border town. So literally my backyard is Kentucky and I'm on the Tennessee side. And so there's a clinic in the Kentucky side. And so since then, God has really worked in the clinic system to build this team of everybody that works there. That's um, a provider, whether they're an APP, a nurse practitioner, a PA, or a doctor or MDDO, they all came here for missions. I would say 80% of the people who came here for missions all plan on going overseas and God called them to stay here. Wow. Mm -hmm. Like the pattern continued. Mm -hmm. So that clinic that originally was not Christian became a Christian clinic, a faith-based clinic. And everybody came here for that purpose of serving. All the rest of the staff, they're from here. They are like a missions team who want to serve their people here and love on them. Originally, it was started because there were people who had no access to healthcare and it was to provide access. And it's not just healthcare, but quality healthcare. Like the people who came here to serve are like at the top of their class in their med schools and their PA schools. So they could have gone anywhere, but they came here because of mission. So since then, they added dental because of lack of access to dental care in the area. Yeah. Um, they've put clinics in the local school. So like school kids, they don't have to leave school. Like if they're sick and just go to the school nurse, they have an, a full clinic in their school here. So our clinic system started that as well. Wow. And they're looking to expand more in this area so that there are more services for people here. We used to have a hospital here, but that closed down. And so a lot of those services closed down. And that's the story of rural America. Small country hospitals have been closing by the hundreds in the past few years. So people here, if they want to deliver a baby, they used to deliver in town. Now they have to drive a full hour before they can deliver their baby. Mm. So it's just so sad that there's so little access for people in rural areas. And most of America, I believe, is more rural than urban. Yeah, I mean, there's so much focus on the city and for good reason too. But I can 
attest to, though I could not imagine like not having running water, I can agree that from where I live, like it would be an hour if I were to have delivered a baby or like if I had a neighbor who had delivered a baby, like it would have been an hour for us to drive to the nearest hospital. Hey friends, have you started a summer project? Are you looking for a summer project to start? Do you love podcasts? If you've answered yes to any of these questions, then I want to tell you about how to podcast with Coley Browning. I am someone who loves a summer project. Every time I've picked up something that's new, it challenges me, shifts my perspective, helps me with my skill set, all the best things. I am wondering if possibly you have had on your heart to start a podcast, but you don't know how to get started. Why not implement your enthusiasm for a summer project, create a podcast. Put all your energy into inspiring and encouraging others with a message that means the most to you. Starting a podcast is so much easier than you think. Whether you are a college student, entrepreneur, serving in ministry, or someone who just has a lot to say, hosting a podcast is the best way to get your message out there. And I am so excited to help. You can find How to Podcast with Coley Browning by visiting my website, coleybrowning.com. Click the tab, How a podcast with Coley Browning. It's already helped two of my friends start their own podcast. I cannot wait to listen and subscribe to your show. Let me know if you have questions and enjoy this fun, easy, encouraging step-by-step guide to create and launch your own podcast today. Going back to the roots, I'm going to link the video that you and Joji being interviewed, but just to kind of link like the idea of roots and gardens to like Jeremiah 29 11, could you talk a little bit about how God highlighted that verse and how that really played a big part in forming your story in being a part of Jellico? Jeremiah 29 11 was our verse, but verse 12 is really important to me too. So because I think most people focus on, for I, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And so they think, God's going to like have everything in control, which he does, plans to prosper you. But I think the word prosper looks very different from what we think. And also when you're young, you don't know anything. As you get older and life happens, you're like, wow, I don't know anything. So what does it mean to prosper us? You know, a lot of it is who we are as people. Do you know this TV show Lost? I've heard of it, but I'm also was born in the 90s. So I know that it was a little bit above me, (laughs) but I've heard many references to it. I also got a spoiler of the finale, but that was, it was an accident. So, but go ahead. Yeah. I think we're all good here if you want to go ahead and spoil something for it. (laughs) Well, like the premise of the show, because you don't know, understand the show for like a whole season. Yeah. And so, because you're like, I don't get what's happening or what the point of island that this plane crashes on. There is like the spirit thing. Like, I don't even know how to describe it. But when you watch the the reason why people like the show is the character development, because every character that playing, it's meant to be like, this was intentional. You all were meant to be on this island because you need something to be done in your life to make you the person you were called to be. I mean, that's my spiritual Christian spin (laughs) on it. (laughs) And I feel like that's what happened here in Jellico, that God has brought those of us who came here to serve. And I think this is like a lot of people on the mission field think this too, like we're called to serve here, but actually what God was doing was molding us yeah. to be the person he wanted us to be. And so when I would think about Jeremiah 29 11, that's the plans that he had for us is to put us in the crucible 
and burn off the dross so that we were created to be the gold that he wanted us to be. We had all this other stuff, including ourselves, like our pride and all our issues, our hero complex, whatever it is, our Jesus complex, the plans that he has for us to prosper us, not to harm us, but to give us a hope in the future, the next part. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me if you seek me with all your heart. That's the part that I think people, they're so busy doing. Mm -hmm. They don't do that part of seeking him with our whole heart because we're too busy doing. And I think a lot of times we find our worth and value in the doing for God, as opposed to like, no, he called us to be with him Mm -hmm. and seek him with our whole hearts. And I think we do a half-hearted job of that too often because a lot of us who are called on that path, we're doers and leaders. So I think that's how that verse played out for us is that God called us to just seek him and where we live, it's gorgeous. And it's such an easy place to be Mm -hmm. when we do pause and look at the hills. I lift my eyes up unto the mountains. Where does my help come from? I literally am looking like at the mountains where my help comes from. Jesse, thank you for blessing me with that view this morning. Oh my (laughs) friends for the audio, beautiful Tennessee mountains, just flooding (laughs) the camera. That's amazing. You get to see that every morning. Exactly. So that is a blessing from Jesus of like, I'm calling you to do this work, but literally look to the mountains where your help is coming from. I am here. I am with you. The way that God has done his plans for us and prosper us here is really like, us having more of Jesus. It's been really hard planting roots here. Like we raised our three kids here. They're all adult children now. And all of us have issues. (laughs) Yeah, we're imperfect people. (laughs) Right. We think we did the best we could with what we had, but we don't live in a place where there's lots of resources. You know how like people will move to a community because like, oh, the school system is great here. And there's things for our family and our children. Like We grew up with very few friends here because we were the oldest people. We planted our church. And because we were the oldest, we were always continually pouring into people, which God blessed us and grew us Mm -hmm. and fulfilled us in those discipleship relationships. But there weren't people that or opportunities of like, hey, let's get all our girls together and do like a fun girls night out or a road trip. And they're like, I didn't have any of that all growing up and I didn't need it. I mean, like like raising our kids here, I didn't need it because I was so fulfilled in other ways. But like now when I look at my life and look at other people's life, which is like the bad thing about comparison and social media, it's like, who would I call to like, let's all go to Dollywood. (laughs) Yeah. We're having these moments of thinking like, how did God fill those places in our heart with him and the things he gave us? But my kids didn't grow up with like, oh, they could go to karate. Like God gave us other things. So we did the best with what we had, but it's definitely a sacrificial life to do a missional life. I think that people think about missions as like a trip, but if missions is just like, and this Mm -hmm. kind of intersects with like what God has called me to this minute with ministry and the ministry I'm involved with, where missions is not a trip. Missions is a lifestyle. And how do you fulfill that? with every aspect of your life and not just like a portion of your life. I don't know if you've heard of John Perkins. Um, He was another civil rights leader, but he helped found the organization I work with called Christian Community Health Fellowship. Yes, I am loving learning about that. Part of it is the value of like relocation, where if you're truly committed to serving the under-resourced, how do you like actually live among them? So we've lived among the people here for the past 21 years and they're our neighbors and we 
like a part of their life. We go to their funerals, we go to their weddings. We have been invited to the revivals, which is like a fun cultural thing. Mm -hmm. They bring tomatoes for us from their gardens or a moonshine that they made as like their gifts and offerings. And like when I get my car done downtown, I bring them zucchini bread. So it's been like great to live life among them. So this is part of the being planted and being rooted here, being part of the community. So that was one of the things like, how did we end up here? So we're children of Indian immigrants living in Appalachia. When we first were heard about this place, we're like, how is it going to be? Because it's the South. So we don't look like anybody. We know that there's a history of racism. What's that going to be like? And we were told, you should be okay. This is before (laughs) 9-11. Okay. We were told, you'll be fine here because people here respect that you're coming to take care of them. And if you are going to be part of their community, they will protect and love you. So that's what happened. We came here. But then when 9-11 happened, nobody knows the terrorists, who they really are. And nobody really knows who we are. So my husband did get at the hospital. A patient is like, wait, where are your people from? Trying to figure out, are we like part of the terrorist group? And so that was the first time we encountered that. Because I think before that, because people don't know much about Indian culture or South Asian culture, they just know that we're tan. (laughs) (laughs) And that was the first time we really had racist statements that were more out of ignorance than hate. Yeah. But by that time, people who knew us here, including the barber, uh, the man who ended up building our house, we had kind of this like hedge of protection of people who loved us and was like, don't worry, like you're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And people spoke so highly. And then also my husband is an amazing doctor, especially with bedside manner. There was a hospital here for almost 20 years that he did deliver babies. And so all those people like love and supported us. And then it's only in the more recent years with Black Lives Matter and the Confederate flag and that type of thing and people's adherence to Southern culture. There are certain people that are like so strongly holding onto it and not realizing the pain and hurt that that causes people because they haven't gotten the full history because the full history is not taught because it's not taught in the schools because it's not in the textbooks. And so that's been more of an interesting turn for us here when we try to explain like our view and our feelings about things. Still, nobody to our face has said anything of like, go back to where you came from or like anything like that. But it's been hard to figure out how do we represent people of different cultures. It is different and it's supposed to be embraced. We're not supposed to be colorblind. We're all not supposed to be the same. Yeah. Like God didn't call us to be the same. God called us to be diverse and different and to live encouraging each other and offering what we have to each other because it's the fullness of God and of and a reflection of who God is. Yeah. And when you were talking about moving there is like the crucible of how it's like a refining process for you all. I look at that part of your life of where you've had to face racism and even the fear that comes along with all of that. Even back to the part of where like lack of resources, who would I call for a trip for my kid to be in a part of soft? It comes with a cost. I agree agree with you and can see like when you lay it out how that would be so hard living not on short-term mission but like a lifestyle it has the blessing but it also does come with a cost I'm glad that you're like revealing the whole story and not just like the highlights where you're on a board for an organization or like you got to do this and this it's like you're laying out like the honesty of like no this is hard like we faced major resistance I mean we don't live near our family or now my in-laws moved in with us but my family's in 
in the Northeast and my husband's family has always been in the Illinois area. So it's not like you can have the community that a lot of other people have. You know, it's an hour, an hour and 15 minutes to the airport and it's a tiny airport. So it would take like two to three flights to get anywhere. So a lot of it is isolation and loneliness and not a lot of people understanding this type of lifestyle, but it forces you to like really think of your faith and like, do I really trust Jesus? Do I really depend on him? Is he really sufficient? Because, you know, we'll sing Jehovah Jireh. Yes. And we'll say he's sufficient. But do we actually believe it that if everything is stripped away, is Jesus the only thing that really counts and matters? And I would say God has continually showed me that he is sufficient. But I have a spiritual director also. And she's like, you know, it's okay to pray and ask Jesus, would you provide friends that are like-minded, would you provide adventure for your life? Yes. Because God's okay with you asking that. And so I've been bolder about asking God for that. And so that's one of the cool things about 2020 and this season of global isolation, because our life didn't change that much. I was like, well, we've been isolated this whole time anyway. (laughs) We homeschooled. Why am I talking to you? Because God has brought community globally through the gift of the internet Like, what if the pandemic happened? I mean, it obviously, the Spanish flu happened years ago. But like, what if this had happened to us in our lifetime, like Mm -hmm. 20 years ago, it would have been so different without streaming internet. But God has brought so many opportunities for me. And I felt like God was saying, see, I'm going to provide for you. I'll fast forward to like the foodie part, um, which I'll just take in isolation. I was going to say, tell us about food as well. You've opened my eyes to how to also make chai authentically. Yeah. As well as just other things, which is so interesting too, because my husband, again, small town girl here, but my husband, he loves Indian food. There's a restaurant we go to locally that is authentic. I will tell you, I am so proud of myself. I used to never appreciate food of high spice, the spice level. And since I have been married to him, we cook on like high spice. My like take of like even asking for something to be Indian spicy, I'm getting there. Sorry, humble brag here, but I'm really excited about it. I love it. It's so good. It's, I mean, I didn't know what I wasn't introduced to. Right. Well, especially if you grew up in a small town, like it wouldn't be part of your growing up at all. I've always been fascinated with TV. Like I, I was a TV addict growing up, like especially commercial. I just love, that's why I went into advertising. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about the Wizard of Oz. We've talked about Michael J. Fox. We talked about Lost. I can tell. I'm loving it. <laughs> I would go up recording myself singing advertising jingles, you know, like the beginning of songs uh, before TV shows, like where well, we're moving on up to the East High from the Jefferson. I mean, I don't think my parents have it now, but that was just like my thing was like media growing up. I watched Julia Child and Yen Can Cook the Frugal Gourmet on PBS. These were the first cooking shows on PBS back in like the 80s. So before Food Network even started. So when Food Network started, I was fascinated. But a lot of time I didn't have cable. So it was just like little snips I would find if we happened to stay at a hotel. But I was like, it would be so cool to be like on the Food Network. Then I'm, you know, I'm in rural Appalachia. I actually didn't learn how to cook until I moved here because we lived in a rural area. There's no access to like a big grocery store or restaurants. So I realized if I wanted to eat something, I had to learn how to cook it. So that's how I really got into cooking here. And because I was in charge of college ministry, the way to a college student heart is free food. So I started learning how to cook all kinds of food. 
because we lived here and learning how to cook in bulk. Meanwhile, like when internet really started and streaming, I was watching different Food Network things on foodnetwork.com because I was like fascinated with media. I was like, oh, it'd be so cool to like have a cooking travel show. That is my dream job. It's a cooking, sorry, an eating travel show, not a cooking travel show. If I could have any job. There's a difference. Exactly. I'm more proficient in eating than I am in cooking. Aren't we all? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I don't like to eat bad food. Yeah. Um, I used to be like 40 pounds overweight. And when I lost that weight, which is another Jesus story, one of the things that I learned is don't eat food unless it's the best thing you ever ate because it's not worth the calories. Just eat things that are worthy. So I also learned how to cook that way. And I think my palate is similar to so many people. And that's why people like my cooking because we just happen to have the same palate. Even though I live in Appalachia, God brought the TV show Chopped within a driving distance to me that I could work on the show. So I felt like God used that. And I was like, if I never do it again, God showed me, I see you and the desires of your heart. You've always wanted this and you got, I'm going to give you this opportunity. I'm like, how crazy is it that I live in rural Tennessee and I get to work on the TV show Chopped? Yes. That's a New York based show and be with people. I'm walking down the hallway and passing by Alton Brown. Who I learned so much. Yes. That's insane. Like I have a relationship with Manit Chohan. Yes. Like, that's insane that God brought Manit Chohan to Tennessee. She's an Indian girl who's lived in Chicago and New York that I've had interactions with her. So that's the God story of like, your life is not what you think it's going to be. It's not like this forever. We all have these different seasons and God's going to give you the desires of your heart. It's probably not going to look like the way you thought it would look. But just let him do his thing and just trust him that what he's doing in your life today is going to glorify him. And if you're living for his glory and trusting him, and when you fall, you know, he is faithful even when you're faithless. So just trust him and press into him. And he's going to do these things through all the storms, through all like the hard times. You're going to persevere if you trust in him and let him do his thing in you. He hasn't used food in my life for the sake of food. He's used it to show that he is still God and I have a purpose in his story, in in, in the building of his kingdom of what he's doing. But Jesse, you also, you gave that to the Lord because if you would have held that with a clenched fist, you probably could have continued serving the college students in your own home. But you were like, no, God, use this area of my life. God doesn't need permission, but you're like willing and just saying like, use every area of my life. He loves it when we are open-handed. And so he's like, let me fill every area of life, my kitchen, my marriage, my children, my social life, like leave nothing untouched. It brought all of even the places that you've been to your own backyard, which is incredible. Yeah. Are you still sharing with WBIR, Knoxville, Tennessee? Are you continuing to, I mean, you're basically hosting cooking show through the network. Yeah. I mean, even how I got into personal chef, I was homeschooling and I was nearing the end. I was like, okay, God, like my next chapter of life is coming. What do you want me to do? And I had five different dreams that I gave to Jesus. And I said, these are all the things I'm either gifted, talented, or experienced it in. What do you want me? Or I have like this dream to do. And he closed every door, including ministry doors. I'm like, wait a minute. Why would you close like these 
ministry doors. That's what I'm trained in. That's what I've been doing. And the doors open for a personal chef, which is like, okay, let's do that. And in my training, they were talking about how to do free publicity. And because I had a PR background, I knew how to like contact the people at the TV station. I just did a one-time thing of doing a cooking demonstration on their live news show. And the producer liked me and she's like, do you want to come back? I'm like, sure, I'll come back. So I was on like once a month for about a year. And then by that time, I closed the the personal chef business because of of things at home that I need to Uh do at home. And then I started working with CCHF doing graduate healthcare ministry. So I thought the foodie life was done. But then because of the pandemic, it opened up again. And it started with the producer saying, hey, I'm taking all videos for cooking demonstrations if you want to send any. So I was doing this cooking at home and I just filmed it. And like, I know how to edit. So I sent it in, though I learned much more during the time of like lighting and sound and all that. Yeah. So I've been on at least twice a month for the past year. And that's awesome. They keep like playing my videos. So I was like, sure, I'll keep making them. And it's been great because I've been able to highlight a lot of food from not just India, but my specific people group and subculture, which has been neat. Through that, um, the University of Tennessee found me. And so I did a couple of online classes with them last fall, this spring, and we're hoping to be in seat this fall. And it's their extension community classes. They haven't set the schedule yet, but I'm hoping to get back to doing that. I'm hoping to get to do in-person classes. I'm toying with the idea of doing Airbnb experiences where people can actually come to our house. And I do like a private dinner for people here. So that's in the works. I'm looking at writing for a magazine that's in the works. So a lot of these things are happen to like, God gives me these one-time opportunities that continue to like evolve. So I have, you know, people are like, so what's your like end goal? Like, what are you trying to do? I'm like, I don't have an end goal. And I've realized through life, there's no need to have an right. end goal because I'm allowing God to just take me on the next path of this journey. I still caretake for my in-laws that are living here and I'm still working, doing graduate healthcare ministry. So I'm just letting God use me in whatever way he wants. But, and you know, there's a chance I might be working behind the scenes again on Chopped. Come on, I'm so excited. Praying about opportunities there, which has been great because I've been in like the church bubble for so long that I haven't been around people outside of the church in like 20-ish years. And when I went on Chopped and working with the crew is the first time in the past 20 years. So it was so great to like have relationships with people that have completely different worldviews and to share my life mm-hmm. of who God is in my life. And God has like revealed himself in so many of those conversations to me, to other people. So yeah, it's it's been an adventure. That is incredible. Yeah, so enriching. I feel like I could talk to you all day. Like I feel like there could, there's just like so much that I just like still have questions about. Is there anything that you're excited about right now? I know that you have like a conference that you're a part of with, is it CCFH? CCHF, Christian Community Health Fellowship. The ministry is to engage, encourage, uh, let people who are involved with healthcare see how they can do that among those that are in experiencing poverty. So whether that is they are homeless or they are refugees or they live in places that have been redlined and they haven't had access to resources. CCHF, we say we envision a movement of God's people who choose daily to provide healing and promote healing in marginalized communities in the name of Jesus. And my specific job is to encourage students 
who are studying in healthcare, whether you're a medical student, you're pre-med, you're advanced professional. In July 16th to 18th, we have our student conference. So yeah, one, if you could pray that students find out about it, but if anybody listening knows any students who are interested in getting into healthcare, even considering missional medicine, or like they're motivated by their faith in Jesus to go into healthcare. That's what the conference is for, is for these students to listen to people who are already working in the field and know what is it like to serve people in under-resourced communities. We have clinics in the U.S. where they can do volunteering. When they're in medical school, they can do clinical rotations. Mm -hmm. If they're in med school and they're looking for a residency program, we also have a residency fair going on that weekend where they can hear from residency programs around the country that have faculty that are Christian that want to disciple them as well as teach them clinical skills. So if they go to cchf.org and go to the student tab, and then you'll see student conference, and they can click on that. My information is on there, so they can contact me directly, and I can answer any questions. Because you're the director of programming for residents and students, right? Yeah, so I'm the national director, so like I have contact with students all around the country that are interested in doing that. Yeah, that would be great. That's amazing. I love that. Well, I hope those who are interested will look into it, and I just hope everyone will go and follow you as well. I know your handle is... Just Soul Food. Just Soul Food, right? And that's your website too, justsoulfood.weebly.com, which I will put that in the show notes for everyone to find as well. And also you're mentioning how you're doing all the work on television, but you also make amazing reels, which I made my first reel last weekend. And I was like, there's a little bit of a learning curve. There definitely is. I've been loving every single one you send me, all the ones that I've been finding. And so I'm excited for our friends to go find that and follow you as well and to pray. That's the main thing. I think my heart is always just to, even as our friends are listening to this in the car and just hearing this kind of close out, like, I just hope that they pray for you all because we know, you and I both know, we mean 21 years, the fruit, like prayer works for a few minutes. If we could surround you all with prayer, that would just be my heart. Thank you. Please come back to Still With You. I would love to have you back. I don't care when, you're just welcome anytime. (laughs) Aw, thank you, Coley. Yeah, this has been great. It's fun. I like telling my story and there's always like side stories because it's not my story. It's how Jesus has worked despite me, (laughs) really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is there anything that I did not cover that you want to say before I ask you the final question? I think I got it. Yeah. Well, because the show is called Still With You, which comes from Psalms 139.18, it's like, and when I wake up, I'm still with you. So take this question however you want. Jesse, I was just wondering, where is God still with you? I would say God is still with me in this season of my life, of my children grown up and gone. Nothing is specifically concrete of the next steps of my life. And God is still with me because that's a precious space to have room to experience God without having an agenda for anything. So, except for this conference coming up. But other than that, (laughs) but like, that's like part of like my job, right? But like of who I am. And so it's exciting, you know, where can I flee from your presence? Like God is fully present with me and I have space to enjoy that presence. So I feel like, that's how I'm like experiencing him now. I love that so much. That's so rich. Just like every part of your life, I feel like that you've offered to him. He's just like enriched and is using. So that's amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Coley. This has been awesome. And it's been so fun to get to know you. And I, 
I hope you're at a place of peace now with, with all your moving and transitions. Hey, there's no pictures up on the wall in my office, but I have a desk to use. So we are all set. So, and the house is being <laughs> shared, which is the main prayer. Thank you for caring about me. Aw, awesome. Okay, is Jess not incredible? I loved chatting with her over chai. Yes, I did bring my chai drink with me from the recipe that she taught me. You have to go check it out for yourself. In fact, if you would like to connect with Jess, you can visit her website, Jess Soul Food. The link for her site is in the show notes as well as all of the handles on social media for you to connect with her whether you're interested in all things food and culinary or if you are a young professional in the medical field she wants to help encourage you by getting you connected with a community of believers to surround you on your journey towards helping others do not hesitate in reaching out to her she is here to serve and you can find all of this information and more through my website, coleybrowning.com. And if you have any questions for me about podcasting still with you, I'm here available to help encourage you in whatever way I can. Coleybrowning.com or you can find me on social media. My handle shares the same name, Coley Browning. I want to thank you again for making space in your week to come hang with me. Treat yourself with a chai drink today and enjoy the last few weeks of summer. I cannot believe it's going by so fast, but there's still so much that we have to share on season four of Still With You, including our 100th episode that is coming up soon that is full of surprises. Be bold, be brave, be you, and remember that he is still with you.